Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes and Ale episode 15 with me Bex and me Eason and me Chris. Hey, so as you can hear, <laughs> it's like an extra person has disappeared. <laughs> if you just inserted say... <laughs> random people in there. If you say his name three times, he appears on your podcast. <laughs> I only said it once. <laughs> Don't want him here. Right. Um, yes, so our, our special, very special, special, special guest uh, this episode is uh, author Chris Butler. Anything else you have to say about that? <laughs> oh, thanks for having me on. Great. Now, leave. <laughs> um, yeah, and we're here at EasterCon 2017 in Birmingham. And we're recording an episode uh, from our hotel where we're staying. So for anyone who doesn't know, what is this EasterCon thing we're in? <laughs> I'm looking at you, Chris, and I'm getting, I'm getting nothing. This may be a very uh, bad idea. EasterCon is a convention for um, science fiction enthusiasts. Uh, with a leaning towards written science fiction, novels and short fiction, as opposed to film and TV, I guess. Uh, well, there's a bit of that, but, but the focus is on novels mainly, I guess. And it's a very writer-friendly event. So, And it's a, uh, it's a fan-run thing as well. Yeah. And this is, what, number 67, 68? 68, Yeah. Maybe. And how long have you been coming to these? <laughs> <laughs> Throw me with that one. Um... If that's all it takes to throw you. Yeah. Um, how long have I been coming to these? I don't know. Five, ten years? Mm. Something like that. We've been doing what, roughly five, six years? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Mm. And yeah, so this year it's in Birmingham. It kind of moves around the country. It does. Yeah, so next year it's going to be Harrogate. And it, you get a different committee of people running it every year. So people will put forward bids to be the the group who host it next time where it's going to be what the venue is what kind of guests they're going to have i think the idea is there's meant to be a voting process but i think quite often there's only one team put forward who are willing to take this job on yeah because yeah. it's a, a lot of organizational work to get it done so some quite dedicated people get involved in running it and it means every easter weekend uh, we all rock up to talk about books and drink during the day <laughs> <laughs> We should leave it to our listeners to decide whether or not we have already been at the bar. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the bar prices, but no. I feel that it, what's just happened has been a bit upsetting. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. A half should cost half as much as a pint, that's all I'm saying. I'm going to move on from that. You won't hear me talk about that again for the rest of the weekend. Let's move on quickly. Yeah. Mm. Right, so uh, the reason we're kind of all thought it'd be good to do an episode in here is well it's the BSFA Awards today which are the British Science Fiction Awards and both Ubex and Chris are writers of mainly short fiction and we've had a read of the nominees for the uh, BSFA Short Fiction Award and we thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk a little bit about at least in sort of science fiction and fantasy the the role of short fiction how it's kind of still going in the genre how it fits into the wider publishing landscape and maybe talk about where it's going as well. And I thought it was useful because both you write stuff and you might have some interesting insights into uh, short fiction in uh, the sci-fi genre. Maybe we will. Mm. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. We'll see in about 45 minutes whether we've learnt anything. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. It's an obvious place to start, but uh, what is classified as short fiction? Um, in terms of the BSFA award, the award covers anything up to novella length, which is maybe about 150 pages, sort of 40,000 words. But short fiction could start at, you know, 10 words, I suppose. <laughs> um, Not nine, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> mm, actually, yeah, there's the famous Ernest Hemingway thing. Yeah, there's no minimum length for short fiction. Well, there's different classifications, but um, some people would say short fiction is anything up to about seven and a half thousand words, mm. um, and then you get a novelette up to about fifteen thousand words, and then from there novellas up to about forty thousand, which is about one hundred and fifty pages. And above that, strictly speaking, it's a novel <laughs> or some other piece of writing. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose um, in in the science fiction and fantasy genre, short fiction 
it's still relatively prominent. I mean, if you come here, there's lots of people, you know, selling anthologies, there's people selling magazines, there are people who put together their own collections, collections of lots of different authors from lots of different publishers at the moment. So for a long time, short fiction has had a pretty good life in the science fiction genre. I think um, certainly in, in genre fiction, there was a time, if you go back to 30s, 40s, where there were more opportunities to publish short stories than there were uh, novels because uh, the magazines were so popular. Are any of them still going from the early days? Uh, well, a lot of them are very long running, mm. for sure, as in of science fiction, mm. analog. They've been can't can't remember off the top of my head when they actually started, but yeah, a lot of those older magazines are still going, um, and loads of new ones as well. And obviously, online magazines now. Mm. And anthologies still seem to be popular-ish. So why do you think like short fiction still is so prominent? I mean, why has the genre not just moved you know, heavily to novels or to, to other media? Well, I, st- I don't think short fiction is as popular as novels in terms of books being published. Mm-hmm. But maybe in genre fiction, a lot of it is about an unusual idea. And maybe a short story is a good way to just get across that idea without having to do it at great length, 400 pages or, or so on. Yeah, I, I have sometimes read a novel and thought there was a good short story somewhere in here, but it got a bit out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the temptation probably is to turn everything into a novel because I think certainly if you're actually trying to make, if you're trying to make money at what you're doing, then novels are still, in terms of sales, far ahead of short stories and short story collections but there are some stories and particularly I think in the science fiction and fantasy genre where you can explore an idea and get the idea across without having to construct a massive unnecessary plot around it. I think there are still some magazines and outlets that have continued to keep going despite all evidence being that they should have folded a long time ago in terms of you know they they almost keep going from the sort of strength of will of the people involved in making them as much as anything else. I think, although the sales figures for short story magazines are probably a lot lower now than they used to be, I think the people who run them and the people who do still read them have kind of so much love to keep them going that they just they want them to keep going. And that's why I think a lot of them are run by small presses because a big publisher would have cut them off a long time ago and say... This is this is not economic, so just stop doing it. But but somehow with with the small presses and fan run publications, it's the desire to keep them going and to keep those markets there for new writers to break into as well. I think that's important. I think ebook sales have also kind of been a shot in the arm for a lot of these magazines. Mm. Although they're still in print, a lot of the sales now are in ebooks, and uh, obviously that's a big financial boost to them. I think that's helping them to keep going. But I, I agree, it's not as popular as it once was in terms of overall sales. But you could probably say the same about novels, actually. <laughs> like as writers, what's the temptation to write short stories? I mean, where does that come from? I mean, is it something that you like doing in particular rather than writing novels, or is it just whatever? You know, sometimes an idea fits fits short stories more, and that, that tends to be what you're used to doing. I mean, where does it fit in? I think. Um, Obviously, you can write a short story a lot faster than a novel. So if you've if you've got an idea and you think it can be done as a short story, then you can write it and move on to the next thing. Whereas if it's a novel, obviously you're going to be spending a year longer writing it. Not always. Some people write them faster. <laughs> Damn <Is it> them. <laughs> is it easier to write a short story, do you think? I think there's an argument that per page it's harder. Mm-hmm. But there are so many fewer pages that on <laughs> <laughs> balance it's easier to write them. But per page it's probably harder because you've got to establish the whole world every time in, in a short story, whereas you you don't have to do that on every page of a novel. Yeah, and if, if you're if you've got a particular market in mind where you want to send it and they say, Okay, well our limit is ten thousand words and you, you write something and it comes in at about twelve thousand and suddenly you find you've got to hack it here and there in order to be brutal enough to get it down whereas with the novel it's almost like well how long is it supposed to be and 
is it 250 pages, 300 pages, and you know, unless the publisher comes and says, well, can you chop some of it out, then you're, you're not doing that at the time that you're writing it. Whereas with a short story, when you're looking at the markets in advance that you're going to send to, you know what kind of thing they're looking for and what length they're looking for. And you're sort of thinking in advance, oh, well, I might send this there, therefore I have to get it in the kind of length and format that they would want. And that is possible to just try and do a slightly shorter version if, if you need to. I'm a bit reluctant to do that. I, once I've worked on a story for long enough, I tend to feel it, it is what it should be. Mm. Um, and then to suddenly have to make it longer or shorter is difficult to do. But it can be done if you really need to. I remember one story I wrote, I spent months and months and months working on it and I'd looked at the submission guidelines for a place I wanted to send it and it said that it was an 8,000 word limit and so I worked on it for ages, for months and I'd written it and it was too long and I cut it down and then by the time I was ready to send it to them they'd changed their word limit to 10,000 words (laughs) 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 So I think looking at the BSFA shortlist it's clear that all the different nominees, well most of the nominees are actually uh, coming from different forms, so some are from magazines, some are from anthologies of multiple authors, some are from collections from a single author. So where is the best place for somebody to look for short fiction in the first place? Mm, that's, that's an interesting question, I was thinking about it from a writer's perspective. Yeah. If, you, if you're looking for magazines to publish uh, your work, there are places to go. Mm. As a reader, um, that's an interesting thought, how would you find things? There are a lot of online venues now, mm-hmm. some of which are new and um, interesting. I, I think with some of the magazines that are also now in ebook form, um, if you wanted to try them out, then it's quite cheap to just buy, you know, one or two ebooks that they've had of back issues to see what they're like and whether you like the kind of thing they go for, um, and then if you want to look for it in the future then you know sometimes it's cheaper to subscribe to them because buying them in individual issues over time gets quite expensive um, but they're they're difficult to find in physical format because there aren't that many shops that sell them anymore mm. even mm. some of the magazines that we would think of as being the bigger outlets in the UK you're hard-pressed to find a shop that has them you know sometimes Forbidden Planet might have some of them I remember we used to have a, a huge uh, Borders bookshop uh, in the town where we live and they used to stock all sorts of things and then when the bookshop shut down there was no other place in the entire city that sold those kind of magazines um, and maybe that's why it shut down because no one was <laughs> buying them but it, it is difficult to, to find them and I guess ebooks is probably a, an easy place to start I guess in in the states, the Barnes Noble, sh- Barnes and Noble shops um, stock magazines. Mm. Pretty sure they do, but over here, uh, it has really vanished. There's nowhere that stocks them. I mean, some some news agents might be able to order something in for you mm. if you know what to ask for, but otherwise, it's a case of ordering online, probably, um, or trying ebooks is a great idea. Uh, so most of most of the big magazines, whether it's Asimov Science Fiction, Analog. Uh, into zone, uh, fantasy and science fiction, they all have um, an online version available. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, they all have websites and they all sell their, their issues as ebooks as well as print magazines now. Um, I suppose the same question, but from the perspective of being writers. So you have your short story. How do you actually get it out there? I mean, what, you know, what channels would you use and, and where would you preferably send things? There's a couple of great sites that um, list magazines that you can um, send your stories to and what kind of word lengths they're looking for and what kind of style of story they're looking for. Um, there's a long-running site called Rannon.com, uh, which is great. And there's a newer site called uh, thegrinder.diabolicalplots.com. Very memorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which um, people voluntarily sort of record their information of where, when they sent the story in and when they got a reply back. So all of that information is really helpful, especially if you're not sure whether a magazine's going to, or an anthology's going to reply to you within a month, or they're going to take two years to do it. Um, having that information available is really great. Yeah, and that they'll often tell you how long to wait before chasing something up. 
um, because I know some people feel a bit nervous of sending chaser emails because they, they don't want to pester you know, the editors. So it, it's good to have an idea of, or if it's been three months, six months, however long, then chase us up at that point in case we've lost it or just not got around to looking at it. Because, you know, the, although they, they must have an awful lot to get through, at the same time, if you've written something you really like and then it's it's stuck in in somebody else's inbox somewhere for six months and you can't do anything with it, it can be quite frustrating. So are you allowed to send things to multiple people or once they're with somebody, do they have to be turned around by that specific organisation before you can send it out again? Generally speaking, you send it somewhere and you have to wait till they reply before you can send it somewhere else. Um, if, if two magazines end up accepting yeah. the same yeah. story, the magazine will probably disown you and not want to hear from you ever again uh, which is a bit unfair in some ways from the writer's point of view and there are some magazines who will um, relax that rule um, in which case they'll say so on their website always look at their guidelines and see what they're asking for in terms of how they expect you to behave but generally speaking uh, and this is particular to short fiction probably that you should only send it to one place at a time and only send them one story at a time and wait for a reply on that. I think with novels it's, it's a different story that you can actually send it to many places at once, potentially, depending on circumstances. Um, but with short fiction it's generally frowned upon if you do that. So I suppose as a, as a specific example that you both know relatively well, so what about like places like TTA Press with Interzone and Black Static? So what are the, like, how do those fit in? These mag like UK-based magazines, which are um, accepting short fiction. So yes, we've both been published in Interzone, uh, Bex and I. You send your story in, they have an online submission system, so you can see, in case you think their uh, reply email's gone astray, you <laughs> can see whether they're still considering it or not, um, whenever you like. Um, eventually you should get a response. In my experience, when you said yes, uh, Andy Cox, the editor at, at those magazines, uh, has said yes pretty quickly. If you're saying no, it takes a while longer. <laughs> don't, know, don't know why that is. <laughs> um, was that your experience too? So mine kind of went astray for a while because I it it was before they were accepting electronic submissions. It was a few years ago now, and they only accepted paper submissions. And I posted off, and about three months went by, and I, I kind of eventually reluctantly queried it, and they said, "What story? We don't know what you're talking about." Uh, so at that point they said, can you email it to us? Because I said that they just, they, maybe it just got lost in the post or I, I don't know, but they hadn't read it. So I, I emailed it back and then actually they replied within a couple of weeks to say yes once I'd, once I'd resent it. And then actually they, they tend to publish stuff pretty quickly as well. Um, within a few months of accepting it, uh, they published it with commissioned art, um, which was fantastic. One thing about publishing generally or writing and publishing is it often seems to take forever to get from those days when you were writing it to the, the time when it actually gets published. It's kind of frustrating sometimes. Um, but yeah, TTA are very good in that way. If you look back over the years at the, the calibre of the authors who have appeared in like Interzone, for example, I mean, it really is a really impressive list of, uh, of authors, mm -hmm. international authors as well. Sure. Um, and obviously, both of you as well. <laughs> yeah, some really great writers, and us. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, Interstone's been around for a long time, and um, pretty much anybody that's well-known you know, may well have had short fiction published with them at some time or other. Uh, the likes of Alistair Reynolds, Paul McCauley, um, Steve Baxter, they, they all had stories. Greg Egan, the list goes on, really, and, and that's still the case now, where people like um, Lena Allen um, was publishing a lot of short fiction with TTA for example and, and it's progressed into novels now. Aaliyah Whiteley has been in Interzone with his publishing books as well. Um, just a couple of examples off the top of my head, I'm sure there are loads. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think that short fiction is a useful way for readers to kind of sample what's out there in terms of you know, new authors, new ideas, new stories? Because often there are things which appear as short stories which some authors will go on to develop into a series or completely sometimes reinvent as a novel etc you know is it a good way to kind of keep up to date with what's going on in 
the wider publishing landscape. Definitely, I think so. I mean, there are anthologies, of, you know, short stories coming out all the time as well. Um, if you look for them, you know, if uh, if an author becomes mega successful, then probably their their short fiction will eventually be collected and put out as a book. But you can read them years, years earlier <laughs> if you um, if you've got your eye on what's what's being published in the magazines or online. I think I personally kind of read far more short fiction in magazines and anthologies than I read novels. Is that I, think, I think that's you know there's obviously you get a lot. You're seeing the world of a much broader pool of, of writers, which I like. I think it's it's certainly a way of finding people whose writing you're interested in. You can read a short story by someone, think actually I really like their their ideas or their style, and go out and find what else they've done. Whether they've got other short fiction out somewhere, or if their first novel's coming out, or something like that. Sometimes you have to kind of find the right short fiction outlet that has the kind of fiction that you like. Um, you know, a lot of them will have their own sort of house style of what kind of thing they want to publish so you always have to kind of look through a lot of the 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 magazines and anthologies that are out there and find okay well this magazine regularly publishes stuff that I like so I must have pretty similar taste to the editor so it's going to be a good way of finding other fiction that I like by keeping reading this one. I suppose sort of people that don't know a lot about science fiction fantasy might have a skewed idea of what it is from what they're seeing on TV particularly um, you know but there's a whole raft of stuff that's not spaceships and aliens necessarily <laughs> but it's still science fiction or fantasy that's that's kind of almost like the real world but with something peculiar happening uh, and it might be that if you try some of this stuff you might decide you really like it and I think that's true for me actually that I I didn't really know some of the types of fiction that's out there until I read it for the first time. It wasn't that I was looking for it, I was surprised to discover it in a way. Yeah, and I think that variation of what science fiction and fantasy is is borne out by the shortlist for the BSFA Awards this year. There's only really one story in there that is kind of traditional kind of space opera-y type. Um, the rest of them are all very different, set in the past, present, the future approach from very different angles um, and it, it's a, a sort of good way of looking at how vast the landscape can be when people are writing science fiction and it, it's not all clones of Star Trek and Firefly all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the fact you talk about how diverse science fiction can be, I mean what do you think are the current trends which are ongoing or starting to appear in, in short fiction at the moment? One thing is um that novella-length stories seem to be much more popular suddenly. So these are 100, 150-page books or stories in magazines, which were vanishingly rare 10 years ago, um, but there's a lot of them about now. I think there are various reasons why that is. One is the the advent of e-book, I think, which um, means people are reading more on train journeys and that kind of thing and maybe maybe that's partly why they're interested in stories that can be read in a few train journeys or even one train journey rather than something that previously they would have read at home you know over weeks and months yeah i think also i, I don't know if this is entirely true but i i get the impression that a lot of big publishers looking for novels are looking maybe for series of novels or novels that can be sequelized or turned into a series to market them and I suppose if, if you've got an idea for a story that is just one story and it could be 40,000 words long it could be 80,000 words long depending on how you want to approach it and how much you flesh it out but it's something that doesn't really lend itself to to being a sequel then turning it into a novella and and selling it as a one-off novella means that you haven't got to then explain well the second book would be this and the third book would be this and the tenth book would be this I think uh, another trend is towards weirder fiction fiction that's not necessarily kind of obviously science fiction or fantasy in a, in a traditional sense but it's just some kind of unique view of life or, or some supernatural thing that's hard to categorise there's a there's a year's best weird fiction annual 
book that come that's coming out now, which is a, a sign that it's seen as a thing. This this weird fiction that didn't have a label as such mm. before. Suddenly, it's, it seems to be everywhere you look. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about the role of things like Patreon and Kickstarter? I mean, not just in short fiction, maybe, but in writing generally. Is it? I'm certainly starting to see it. I'm not sure that has anything to do with kind of story that people are writing but it certainly is another way that a writer could potentially earn some money or fund a project that they want to do but I've even seen publishers using Kickstarter recently Hmm. which presumably they weren't sure about it being a profitable exercise any other way which is interesting so that might mean that publishers could take more chances maybe if they can see that the funding is in place through a Kickstarter or something like that. I've certainly seen some anthologies be very successful on Kickstarter. They've tended to be ones where the the people founding the anthology already had quite a prominent online following, Mm. um, whether it was through writing or webcomics or whatever, whereby they've already got a lot of people they can reach out to to say, we've started this Kickstarter. And if X percentage of the people who follow them contribute to it, then they know they're going to pass whatever the goal is in order to get it off the ground. And I guess if if you're an established publisher, then you've also got a pool of people who will, you can simply get the existence of the project in front of them, you know, whether they're following you on social media or you get a newsletter or whatever. If I was going to think about doing it as an individual author I wouldn't even know how I would begin getting it in front of people or getting any, anyone to know that it existed but it's, it's certainly something that I have seen be very successful for example thinking about the Machine of Death anthologies mm. um, that Dave Malky and uh, Ryan North did but you know they already had an awful lot of people following them um, who they could say hey we're doing this anthology so you know that they they crowdsourced the stories from people and then they also crowdsourced the funding. Yeah, a non-exhaustive list, but who are the big publishers who who are putting out anthologies at the moment of, of uh, science fiction, short fiction? Well, the editor, Jonathan Strayan, is um, publishing anthologies regularly. Uh, certainly with smaller publishers, there are loads of them. PS Publishing, regularly publishing books of short fiction. Nucron Press, doing some really great single author collections as well as uh, a line of novellas, uh, <laughs> which uh, which is great to see. And then the bigger publishers will, uh, you know, they're always putting out books. It seemed like uh, a while back there was a, they always seemed to be themed kind of anthologies. So you'd get a book of cats in space or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, every story's on that, on that theme, but currently it seems like they're more willing to just put out general anthologies. Now I'm just thinking about Cats in Space. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably the favourite topic of most writers um, of science fiction. Uh, Not me, but other people. I'm more of a dog person. So I published a couple of books, a novel, a science fiction novel called Any Time Now, uh, which came out in 2001. More recently, um, Immersion Press put out my novella, The Flight of the Ravens. More recently than that, I've, put, I've republished both of those uh, myself, which is something you can do now with your uh, books that are no longer in print. You just republish them yourself. It's very easy to do. But it's still, I, personally, I don't think self-publishing is should be the first choice but it's a it's a good choice for a lot of writers now otherwise um you know a whole load of short stories which have been published in a lot of the places i've mentioned already <laughs> interzone and uh asimov science fiction and uh albedo one and irish magazine and lots of others I forget the exact number now around 20 short stories maybe Recently, I've been writing uh, a sort of series of short stories, which Interzone have been kind enough to publish three of those so far. And these are the spores? These are, yeah, so it's set on a world where there's a kind of telepathy, I suppose, although it's not called that, uh, where the truthfulness of what people are saying is more apparent than it is in our world. 
and the consequences of that on different characters in that world. We've got a fourth one of those that uh, is nearly finished and there'll be at least one more after that. And otherwise, you know, variety of kinds of story, but mainly in the science fiction genre. So how do you go about coming up with your short fiction, from sort of the ideas to getting them out there? You're not asking me, how, where do my ideas come from, are you? <laughs> Tell me your ideas. <laughs> uh, I think most writers' most hated question is, where do your ideas come from? Um, I think the ideas just hit you all the time, really. Um, but you don't always decide to write a story about them. I mean, you just keep them banked somewhere, and then when you feel the time is right to... Um, I jot things down in a notebook occasionally, um, and then come back to them later. But normally, I've got more ideas than than I've actually got time to write. <laughs> um, so it's a case of what's the most compelling thing that I want to do next, and that's normally pretty obvious. Mm. And it, then it's just a case of finding time to sit down and do it. Uh, I think it generally takes longer to write a story than people imagine. Mm. Um, certainly, in my case. <laughs> I've had the odd review where they've sort of given the impression they think it was written very quickly, but that's usually not the case. But you you might you might get some version of it down fairly quickly, but then it needs rethinking a bit to to get it up to the sort of standard where it can be published, which is you know not a given. <laughs> There's huge um, competition really for limited number of places in magazines and anthologies. Yeah, back when I was in a, a critiquing group um, in the town where we live, I remember I'd, I I wrote a short story. I wrote it very quickly in about eight hours, um, and I gave it to the the critiquing group, and then I rewrote it again, and gave it back to them again to read again, and then I rewrote it again. <laughs> I think by the third time I gave it back to them to read, I think they were about ready to throw it at my head. Um, <laughs> but I spent about six months just reworking it over and over again to turn it into something you know, that was half decent but the the kernel of the idea was just in that first single writing session where I set up until about five in the morning um, and my computer just writing it down I, I think the, the reworking and the editing I think ends up taking longer than the actual original writing of it does mm, I think the original writing is the fun part because yeah. <laughs> you're not being quite so self-critical during that part. Otherwise, um, actually doing the writing, um, I approach that in different ways. Just depends, really. I'm not sort of always has to sit at the same desk and at the same time of day and and do it then. Uh, so I may write some things by hand, some things at the keyboard, some things at home, some things in coffee shops. On a um, unicycle, on a pogo <laughs> stick. No, don't do that. <laughs> uh, don't do that at home, kids. Um, but do you find it easy to write for an anthology, for example, if they have a very set theme? I mean, do you, like, do you prefer to write your own stories that come to you when you want? Or you know, if an anthology says, we want a series of stories about cats in space, would you be able to do that? Would you enjoy doing that? Or... I think um, often those things are unexpectedly successful. Like you, you no intention of ever writing a cat in space story, but as soon as the idea is put to you, you think, oh, I've got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, my experience, it's not a preference for uh, being given a theme or not. Uh, maybe I would say my preference is not to be given uh, a theme to work to. But it's surprising how sometimes when you take something like that on, the outcome is actually quite satisfying. I found it it's something that either ends up working really well or just not working at all. Because <laughs> you're trying to force an idea that normally you would have abandoned halfway through as something that was never gonna work. But you think, Well I've got to I've gotta finish the idea because it's for this anthology and I've gotta you know, send it off by whatever the deadline is and and you you may not have the time to completely start from scratch with a new idea, so it you know it's either a, a great end result or a story that you think oh, I just wish I hadn't even bothered writing that because it didn't work at all in the end. 
Still, if anybody wants me wants to invite me to uh, <laughs> contribute a story to their anthology, <laughs> by all means, do. <laughs> so, are there any particular collections or authors who you might recommend who you particularly like, maybe? Yeah, there's so many of them. <laughs> Where to begin? No one. I only like my uh, own books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if if you're forced to buy somebody else's books other than mine. <laughs> Yeah, where to be in? Uh, I mean, I really like Eric Brown. Um, there's, um, I, I read his Starship Seasons um, series of stories uh, quite recently. Really enjoyed those. Um, loads of people. Nina Allen's stories I really like. So I should go back to the classics. So I'm a big fan of Ray Bradbury. Anybody that wants to read some good short fiction, you could do a lot worse than pick up any Bradbury book, Martian Chronicles is to my mind a collection of short stories rather than a novel but um, you can read it either way I think. Um, yeah I would second Eric Brown um, I really liked uh, a novel he released called Kethani which was actually grouped together from a lot of different short fiction that had all been sort of set in the same universe and they were brought together with additional material written to could glue them all together really and it works as a single book as much as it did as individual stories and it proves that it's quite flexible really in, in short fiction as to what you do with them whether you want to release a collection of individual stories or whether you can glue them together into something larger. Philip K. Dick is an obvious choice lots of his stuff's been made into films in recent years <laughs> uh, but there's a huge number of short stories and novels out there by him. Uh, newer writers, people like Neil Williamson, um, he was great. Colin P. Davies uh, had a collection out recently by uh, Immersion Press, which is terrific. I think Colin is one of the kind of unsung talents of um, British science fiction in a way. He's mostly been published in, in the US. His stories are great. In a way, I think maybe it's, it's not the right goal to seek out particular writers but to kind of sample the wealth of stuff that's out there there's a lot of that <laughs> there is maybe too much um, spoil for choice so as well as writing fiction you've also had a hand in putting together an anthology of short fiction as well. I have. I edited an anthology called The World and the Stars. It was um, it's fun to do. Um, there's 24 stories in there by, you know, they're deliberately very wide ranging as we talked about. You know, there's, there's such a variety of short fiction out there and I tried to pick lots of different things that um, demonstrate that. So we've got great stories in there by some of the people we've been mentioning. Colin P. Davis is in there. Gareth Owens is another good new writer. There's a story by Tanith Lee, uh, Liz Williams, Lee Kennedy. A story by Bex, by Starlight, yes. which, which is a wonderful story. I was really happy to include it. Um, so look that one up if you, if you want to get a sense of some of the variety of stories that are available. Was it a fun experience putting together and editing um, The World and the Stars? Fun is uh, <laughs> maybe not quite the word I would use. No, at some level, it, at times it's fun, at times it wasn't fun. It's, it's surprising how difficult it was in some ways from just deciding 24 writers and trying to pick, because a lot of these stories have been published before, so trying to pick a good example of their work was challenging. So I, I read a lot of more than I actually put in the book um, and I naively thought that things that had been published already would be I would get a really polished version of that story as it appeared but in fact a lot of the writers didn't have that text as published they may have like a previous edit of it because magazines won't necessarily feed back the final version to you normally you can tell if that's if there's been edits that you didn't actually know were there. Normally it would only be very minor things. Um, but I ended up pretty much having to copy edit the whole thing as if it was all brand new fiction. 
um, so that was more work than I expected. But it was, yeah, it was very rewarding. I actually, um, I feel more, more and more positive about that book as time goes on. When you're in the throes of trying to edit it, it seems like, oh, why did, why did I ever take on this? Would you do it again? Task? You do a, a sequel to it, or a, or a new anthology? Um, yeah, I'd like to do more editing. It's a question of finding the right project. Um, maybe I wouldn't include so many stories next time because dealing with just dealing with that volume of stories does become a bit of a headache but yeah I think part of what I like about writing is building something that you know at the end of it you have this thing that you built um, and editing the book was very similar that it went from saying it didn't exist to something that does exist and people can buy and it's full of good stuff so um, yeah I'm very happy that I, I put that book together The World and the Stars Going back to why we originally sort of came up with this idea for this episode this evening in fact it's the BSFA Awards and we've had a read of the uh, short fiction nominees and I think as I said earlier on I mean they all represent kind of different ways that you can do short fiction uh, in science fiction so I thought it was kind of good to have a bit of a chat about what was out there. The BSFA award is for science fiction and fantasy um, I've seen a number of times critics kind of commenting on the BSFA shortlist and going, what's this fantasy doing on earth? <laughs> and the, the reason is that fantasy is eligible if you take a moment to look at the rules um, and anything, as you said, up to novella length. So who actually votes for it? It's people at EasterCon, BSFA members? Yeah, so British Science Fiction Association, as you said, is a fan organisation. It's kind of interesting that you've got very short stories in competition with quite long stories. The longest story here was published as a book, but uh, yeah, let's talk about each one. Hmm. So the first one is The End of Hope's Feet by Malcolm Devlin, which was published in Interzone issue 266 from TTA Press. Yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> approach to, to a story. It's about a street, Hope Street, where houses are becoming unlivable is the word he used where, um, which means anybody in that house will die if they don't get out pretty quickly as the house becomes unlivable and we see what happens to various occupants on the street as their houses become unlivable. I think this is actually quite a good example of a of how you said earlier a short story is a good way to get a neat idea out in some way. I think reading it it's a it's a really cool concept Mm. Um, and it works very well as a as a short story. I think it it probably reminded me most of something like the Twilight Zone, you know, like mm. a you know where there's a there's a cool idea which runs for a little bit. There's lots of neat flourishes. It's quite well written. Mm. I think the one thing I thought was a bit odd was trying to understand what the people were doing living in Hope Street because <laughs> they're all aware of what's going on. Mm. And it's they carry on regardless. Yeah, they carry on regardless, and you you know it's it's a case of almost you know whittling them all down over the course of this story, which I suppose itself is a is a good arc for everything, but it it kind of peters out rather than has a you know a solid ending to it. But maybe that's part of the point of what's going on in the street. It, it 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 does become a bit repetitive, and you don't get much added to it in the second half to what you've already seen. Having said that, it's. I think it's very good on little character nuances and moments of the way people live together in houses. There's a line where he says something like, he had to step back and lean against the wall so that somebody could go past him, which is very true to how it would be if you if you had a lot of people mm. cramped into fewer and fewer houses as the story progresses. So I like that aspect of it, but it did become a bit, I don't know, felt overlong, maybe. Could have done with fewer houses. <laughs> fewer houses um, and, uh, and maybe because you get a scene with one house and then you get a scene at the next house and some of the characters recur but essentially you, you don't spend the whole story with anyone mm -hmm. um, 
so there isn't that depth of characterization maybe that you would have normally in a story of this length where you would be with one set of characters solidly from beginning to end so that's unusual I'm not sure how successful it was in that respect you think it is more about the concept than it is about you know the characters and yes definitely um, and that will be to some people's taste and not to others yeah. maybe so the second one is Liberty Bird by Jane Fenn which appeared in the Now We Are Ten anthology uh, from New Compress. Yeah, it, I, I thought it was a strangely kind of retro kind of story in the sense. So there, there's a, a race of space yachts which the uh, main character is taking part in and trying to win. And at the same time, it's about that main character being homosexual in a society that where you're likely to be severely punished if that is discovered. The idea seems to be just that, that that sort of society is a bad thing <laughs> if, if you don't have the sort of personal freedoms that we have in, in this country at least. And it's that's a well-made point, uh, I think, so it didn't strike me as hugely uh, interesting or taking the debate in a new direction. It was a bit heavy-handed, I felt. Mm. Yeah, th there was this, there was this part of it that kind of annoyed me. There was this comment about the fact that there were two female pilots in this race, and that this was a a change that a particular character wouldn't have liked. It was symbolic of a change a particular character didn't like. And I thought, you know, I, I know this is obviously a different society set in the future, but isn't the future? And there are female professional racing drivers now, and it felt like I hadn't. It, it hadn't given me the, the impression of a society that had necessarily... Why, why would it have gone backwards in some respects? It, it, it just seemed like a, a jarring thing to me that, you know, people can get over the fact that there are female racing drivers now, so why couldn't they get over the fact hundreds of years from now? Yeah, I mean, there are different... You know, even now there are different countries where different standards apply. So you can't say there's no need to kind of make these kind of arguments, but there's no... There's nothing in the story that kind of makes it seem anything other than just very obvious. And so the third one on the list is Taking Flight by Una McCormack, which is in the Crises and Conflicts anthology, which is also from Newcon Press. Uh, I really like this one, personally. Um, it's about a character who goes to a planet just to catch up with someone they've lost touch with long before and they initially think this planet is a great place to be but uh, as the story unfolds discover some less brilliant things <laughs> about the planet and it kind of ends on a fairly melancholy note I shouldn't say too much that might spoil it but um, it just struck me as very beautifully written and very subtle uh, in what it was doing and saying so I thought that was good it's on the shorter side of the, the yes, nominees it is well. one of but the shorter ones but there's a lot of depth to it mm. um, you know it's enjoyable to read actually you get a lot out of it and well to me it functioned as a little vignette in these people's lives I think the setup where you have you know, one character talking about how they've lost touch with somebody I thought it was a nice way to immediately get you into the story and set up how all the characters are interrelate yeah I think it's an example of how you can have a short story in which you don't have to jam in vast amounts of plot. It can be as much about character and mood as, as you know, a series of events that has to happen. And you know, what I took from it was very much the characters and the kind of the the, the sense of it and the mood of it, rather than some of the others which are more kind of plot heavy and event heavy. Do you think that works better in short fiction as well? Could, like, can it be tough sometimes for a short story to work if it's just? piled in with events which may have worked better in a longer form or do they sacrifice character to get um, these things in I sometimes think that with short fiction you don't have to have plot in the way that you do in longer stories people debate that I think maybe in science fiction there does tend to be a plot but I think it's a trap in short fiction to, to try and write novels really really short <laughs> <laughs> you don't need that 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 kind of 
story arc necessarily it can be just a glimpse into a world if that glimpse is sufficiently compelling <laughs> so uh, the next uh, nominee is the short story presence from the collection what is not yours is not yours by helen uyayami this is about uh, a woman who is a psychologist um, as her partner and she works with young offenders and her partner is a bereavement counsellor and her partner wants to conduct a sort of trial experiment into this thing called presence whereby people who have been bereaved in some way seem to have occasions where they move through memories and they feel like they're actually in the presence of someone or they're communicating with them um, in some way, not necessarily as ghosts as such, but, but th- th- there is some kind of presence there. And she agrees to try this experiment. So she she moves into an old flat and they set it up. It's, it's very lacking in specifics about how exactly they've conducted this experiment. At one point she talks about there being gas canisters installed in the walls and they talk about the fact that they're going to mix together certain ingredients to try and provoke this state but they don't go into specifics which I think is quite clever actually because that's not the point of the story and if if you're vague about it then you don't get caught up in trying to figure out whether or not it's even plausible. Mm. Um, So she spends time in this flat and she starts to have visions and shifts in time, starts to question what she's experiencing, what's real and what's not real and she starts to experience the presence of other people, some of whom are characters who may have existed or may not have existed. I think it's, it's a very well written story. It's actually my favourite of all of the ones on the shortlist. It's got a very, I have to excuse the pun, a very haunting <laughs> air to it. Uh, it certainly stuck with me the most out of all of the stories. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, it is kind of vague in the way it talks about what this presence thing is and how it's invoked but it's it is haunting um, and interesting it's it's very kind of vague it's not it almost kind of floats at you uh, maybe it would be a bit kind of hard to grasp for some people you might they might not like it for that reason but um, that works for me I think it's also an example of a a short story that is probably on the fringes of what people would think of in terms of science fiction and fantasy. Yes. It doesn't necessarily fit neatly into any of the categories. Um, you know, it's, it's not space opera, it's not horror, it's not outright fantasy. It's that that weird that you were talking about mm. earlier, that, that sense of something strange going on within a story that does fall in, I suppose, the, the very broad category of science fiction and fantasy that some people think of, but might not necessarily be what everyone thinks of when they think of science fiction. Right, so the next one is uh, The Apologist by Tardy Thompson. That appeared in the same issue of Interzone as uh, The End of Hope Street, which is number 266. So what do you think about this one? Um, So this one is set after almost the entire human race (laughs) has been... Almost. Uh, has been exterminated by aliens mm. who came to Earth and didn't really realise that it was populated mm. because their um, their existence is so different from ours they didn't recognise that the Earth was populated but that you just kind of discover that as, as you're reading the story and it starts with one of the survivors I guess who is doing strange things but you, you learn he's assisting the aliens in trying to re reproduce the life that we had before we were all exterminated. Kind of simulated versions simulated of people versions, and the yeah. environment etc. But because there's so few humans surviving and they don't know everything <laughs> that there was to know about human life previously, um, it's at best an approximation. Also the, this main character is maybe not the, not the most pleasant character. <laughs> Uh, not the best example of human species, maybe, and is kind of in conflict with the aliens, in conflict with the other surviving humans. So it's it's quite a dark premise. Yeah, I I found it a bit too misanthropic, and I think that was probably because of the main character. I, it, he wasn't someone that is easy to warm to as a character. I felt that there was a good 
idea in there somewhere about this idea of who is it that gets to decide how places should be how our shared spaces should be and that, that you know there are times where he gets very angry because everything's be, being rebuilt too shiny too perfect and all the the, the replicants who are replacing the humans are all too nice to each other and he thinks that they should they should swear more and they should be angry with each other and there should be litter in the streets and things like this and there was a good social idea in there of who is given the power to decide how our public spaces should be and how we should be but I I just couldn't get past really not liking the main character at all mm, that's interesting I, I think I don't see why characters should be that likeable as such but they you do need to want to keep turning the pages <laughs> um, so that's a, a difficult trick to pull off one other thing I noticed in this one was that there is some it's like the, the writer is trying to convince you that he knows some science um, which in general is a good thing <laughs> but I kind of noticed that that was being done I don't know if you, either of you two saw that. But I, you know, I would suspect that um, Tardy does know some science, um, which is helpful if you're writing science fiction. But maybe he's just fooled me by <laughs> scattering <laughs> in a few key references. It got me thinking: if you were to try and recreate, you know, humanity after, you know, with a minimal number of people and, and based on their memories and their personalities, their interpretations of things. The one that I was thinking about was, is there a critical number of people that you would need to accurately kind of you know, reproduce the world as we think about it? And it was more just like an idea I thought was kind of interesting. That there are some very nice ideas in this story, mm. but I wasn't as keen on the, on the characters as well. And I felt that was, for me, it made it a bit harder to like, that a lot of thought had gone into exploring these concepts, but the execution made the story may be a little bit too unlikable. Um, so the last story um, is the longest one, um, which is The Arrival of Missives by Aaliyah Whiteley, which is published um, by Unsung Stories. Yeah. This one is, as you say, it's the longest of the bunch. Um, it's set after the First World War. So it's very much about how things were at that time. Um, the lead character is uh, a young woman, I suppose, who's on the cusp of leaving school and going off to university, maybe. But her parents are very much against that. And her teacher, who is new to the village, and therefore um, there's much suspicion of him <laughs> as an outsider, uh, at a time when people maybe tended to stay put and everybody in the village knew everybody else, is peculiar um, and as it progresses we learn he's very peculiar and <laughs> <laughs> that um, he has a very unusual injury during the war which is compelling him to towards certain goals which you learn more about as the story progresses you're very good at describing this without giving any details <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, because I don't want to spoil yeah, yeah, it too yeah. much, but I want to give people a sense of what it's about. And yeah, maybe I should kind of stop talking about the story there. But I think it's unclear for quite a long time actually what genre the story is in. Mm. Is it fantasy? Is it science fiction? By the end of it, it's very definitely you know which genre it's in. But it's, it doesn't read like a genre story until the end, uh, when suddenly you get the meat of, of what is going on and it's kind of very definitely has a feminist agenda it's very much about the role of women at that time and how that has changed since and how it might change in the future and what the implications of that are I liked it very much I think you two were slightly less keen but uh, I found it a little bit too long mm. I think there are a few too many side shoots in the story but again I think they also came to a laugh so I was used to reading much shorter <laughs> that's how simple I am <laughs> this one is longer than the other one why is it not shorter 
Yeah, I I felt conflicted about it because it's very well written, but I did find it too long, and I it it was like there were sections of it where not an awful lot really progressed, and it didn't seem to be moving, and I you know I. Looking back, I get that it's maybe meant to have a slower pace because life had a slightly slower pace. It took time for people to go places and for things to happen. But there were times when I I just thought, uh, come on, get on with the thing that's happening. I, I swear at one point there was an entire, it took an entire page for her to sit down in a chair, which is, is very nice if you want to read very leisurely. But I think also because we were reading through all of them to discuss them, I was kind of thinking, what's happening what's happening the, the writing is very good certainly one of the best of the the selection i don't i don't know how i would have edited it i just would have chopped chopped a few bits out <laughs> here and there i think it's also a good example though of the fact that in short fiction it's nice that you can read a story like that and actually whether your feelings towards it are positive or negative or somewhere in between it's actually quite nice that you haven't invested a huge amount of time or effort in it actually it's great when these short stories um, are really good but even ones that you're less positive about it can be nice just to read them and often it makes you think i would still go and read other things that she's written Mm. Um, there are aspects of the story the writing that i did like but it makes you then want to seek out other things it's almost like a you know i'm sure it's not written you know for that purpose but as a taster it's a good way to find out about a new author and I have to say that on the list three of the authors I, I you know I'd never read anything by mm. so it was actually nice to see authors becoming accessible to a readership and again it gets you to read something new that you wouldn't have otherwise read and also I think in the same issue of Interzone that the other two stories are in um, she has a really cool story in that that I really did like mm. um, which was the one about the, the flower which is also much shorter <laughs> <laughs> Did you read that after reading The Arrival of Mrs? Yeah. Yeah. So so you liked it enough to think, oh, here's another Leo Whiteley story, I'll read that. Yeah. I was also surprised that there were two stories from the same issue of Interzone. Yeah, that is un- un- unusual <laughs> that uh, two stories came from the same issue of Interzone and, and one of the other nominees also had a story in there. Yeah, so I think it's nice that you can get like a taste of a specific author by reading pure fiction and then... Yeah, find out a little bit more about them and uh, like you say seek out other work by them as well it does seem as though um, when there's excitement around a new writer that news spreads fast <laughs> <laughs> in, this, in this internet age and you start to see their stories popping up mm. regularly and before you know it there's a collection of their stories and it, it's, um, it does seem like there are opportunities to find something you like and then go off and read more. Okay, so having discussed the six nominations, do you have any inkling of what you think might win? Very difficult to say. Personally, I would go for The Arrival of Missives by Aaliyah Whiteley and or Takey Flight by Una McCormack, but they all have very different qualities, so who knows what people might go for. Yeah, it's tricky. There's there's no one obvious story. There are no stories by really big names in science fiction, I guess, who you might think would, you know, in another year might stand out as, as being the likely favourite because people are more likely to have read it or just to have liked other work by that person. You never really know how people are motivated to vote. So it, it's, it's difficult. I think several of these do appear to have some popularity for their short fiction, particularly. So that might be a factor. But we'll find out in about five hours. (laughs) We will. Mm. And we'll be either rejoicing or shaking our head bewildered. But in either case, we'll be drinking beer. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And much of it. And then watching Doctor Who. And then watch it okay. So that's it for episode 15. Uh, thank you very much to our special guest, Chris Butler. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at TFCAA. We have a Facebook page, Time for Cakes and Ale. And it's also a website, timeforcakesandale.com. So please do drop by and say hi. If you've got any suggestions for really good short story anthologies or collections that you think we should be reading, um, that we can uh, have a read of in the future, that'd be great. Normal service will be resumed <laughs> next time when I won't be on. <laughs> so that's it for uh, episode... 15 and next time uh, episode 16 goodbye goodbye goodbye